Thank you, Ann and Mike. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 55, the book of Isaiah chapter 55, and we'll look at a couple of verses there and share with you a few thoughts this morning. As you know, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> I have been looking at questions in the Bible, and we've looked at seven of them thus far. We began by looking at the question found in Acts 16.30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Then we looked at Psalm 27, 1. The psalmist asked, Whom shall I fear? Job asked the question in Job 14, 14, If a man die, shall he live again? Paul asked the question in Romans 8, 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The disciples asked the question in Matthew 24, 3, What shall be the sign of thy coming? The, 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 Lord, or the, uh, the Lord asked the question, or the, the psalmist asked the question, Psalm 78, 19, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And then last Sunday morning, as we kept in thought the Thanksgiving season, we looked at the question that Jesus asked, but where are the nine? As you know the story, ten were healed, but only one came back to give thanks, and Jesus said, but where are the nine? I want you to stand as we honor the reading of his word this morning. And I want us to look at Isaiah 55 and notice verse 2. Here's the question. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Verse 3, I should have read verse 1. I think I had verse 1 on the screen, but we'll come back to it in our text today. Verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Look at verse 2 again. Here's the question. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Thank you. May be seated. They sung about the answer finding the answer in a simple word of prayer. Well, let's talk about today that answer and learn a little bit about what our question is asking. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, it has already been a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. And I thank you so much for reminding us today that you are on the throne, that you rule and you reign, and we thank you for it. Now, we ask you today that you might help us as we listen to your word to listen to you. And that, Father, we might hear from you. I pray you'd speak to someone today. There may be someone here today that will be described by what our text is talking about. Empty. And I pray today that you would speak to their hearts and help them to realize today that they can find the answer to the deepest needs of their heart in a simple word of prayer by coming to the Lord. So I pray you'd move today. Speak to hearts. Meet every need, and we'll thank you and praise you, for it is in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. 
I'm sure many of you this morning recognize the name Peter Sellers. You probably remember the name from the Pink Panther movies, and I'm sure most of you have seen those, and you recognize the name Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers made many people laugh through his acting. He made many people laugh through the parts that he played in his movies. But he himself was a very unhappy man. A biography of, his life called, biography of his life caught the emptiness of his life in the title, The Mask Behind the Mask. After Peter Sellers died, a friend, a dear friend, one that admired him, was interviewed and he said that Sellers had been in many ways an empty figure who only came alive when given a part to play. And he went on to describe how that Peter Sellers' life, his personal life, was in dramatic terms a tragedy. And that he yearned to be the clowns that he played. When I read that about Peter Sellers, I thought to myself, that story could be retold time and time again. For there are many individuals today that if the masks they wear were taken away, it would reveal but the emptiness of their life. Because masked behind many of a smiling face and masked behind many of a busy life is the unhappiness and the emptiness of their soul. I once heard someone say that many people are like the chocolate Easter bunnies. You know what I'm talking about, the chocolate Easter bunnies. They look good on the outside, but they're hollow on the inside. And there are many individuals that mask the emptiness of their life with a smile, and they mask the emptiness of their life with things they possess. And they mask the emptiness of their life by the things they do. But on the inside, they are empty. Today, I want us to look at a question that addresses the emptiness of so many lives. It is a question in Isaiah 55 that leads us to consider the reason why many lack an inward peace and why they lack an inward contentment and an inward satisfaction. It is the question, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? You see, the picture of Isaiah chapter 55 is that of a marketplace. If you can allow your mind now to go back to Bible days and go back to the ancient markets, we might think of them in terms of a flea market, but go back to the market and market day and the vendors have set up their booths and the vendors are plying their trades. And when you find Isaiah 51, the pictures of a marketplace and here are all these street vendors selling their goods. As you ponder the passage, it's almost like you can hear one crying, milk for sale, any Anybody need milk? I have milk for sale. And then another says wine. Over here's wine. I have wine. Do you need wine? And another says bread. Come and buy. I have bread. And you can hear the vendors as they ply their trades and goods. And you can even hear the buyers asking, what will you take for that vessel? What do you want for that loaf of bread? That's the picture behind Isaiah 55 in the text that I read. But the subject of the text is that of a satisfied soul. For you find in verse 1 the thought of being thirsty, someone that is thirsty. In verse 2, you find reference to that which does not satisfy. But you'll notice that verse 2 closes with the thought of a delighted soul, and verse 3 speaks of a soul that is alive. Again, the subject is a satisfied soul. And when you look at the text, you find why many are not 
satisfied and why many are empty in life and how and the way to real satisfaction in life. So I want to look at the question and let's learn this morning briefly the secret to a satisfied life. Are you with me now? Say amen. amen. I want you to think with me these three things. First is this. I want you to think about a familiar pursuit for satisfaction. When I think about satisfaction, I think about our pursuit for satisfaction. And when I think of the pursuit of satisfaction, I think of that which is familiar to us all. I think of that which is common to us all. We all want to be satisfied. Now, I think about satisfaction. Think with me for a moment. When I think of satisfaction, I think, first of all, of that for which we long. That for which we long. You see, our text describes those that are looking for satisfaction. It describes in the analogy that is given those that are in the marketplace trying to buy certain items and laboring to obtain certain items. There is a picture here of those that are looking for satisfaction, longing for satisfaction. They're in the market looking and searching for that which will make them happy. It reminds me of the longing in the heart of the human race to be satisfied. I've been preaching for the biggest part of my life, over more than half of my life. This is what I have done. This is all that I've ever done in my life. And I have met a lot of people through, through the years. I've met many people. I've met them from all walks of life. But all these years I've been serving God, I don't think I've ever met anybody that did not want to be happy. I don't think in all these years that I have served the Lord and of the thousands of people that I've met through the years, I don't think I've ever met anybody that did not want to be happy. You see, there is within us, both young and old, that which yearns to be happy. And there is that which is in all of us, young and old, that which longs to be satisfied. There is something within us that desires an inward contentment. And there's something within us that desires to be happy. I have met a lot of people that were miserable. But I have never met anybody that wanted to be miserable. And I've met a lot of people that were unhappy. And I've met a lot of people that were honest and they knew they were empty. But it was not by choice and it was not by desire. No, nobody wants to be happy. I was reading the other day about a cathedral, the Worcester Cathedral. And I was reading in particular about a couple of inscriptions that are found in that cathedral that I thought was interesting. For example, there's an ancient slab that bears the solitary inscription, Miserimus, which means most miserable. But yet down in the catacombs, in those vast underground chambers of the dead where early Christians hid from their fierce persecutors, there is a stone that bears the word for Felicimus, which means most happy. And I thought about that, and I thought about how many lives would bear, would be characterized by the word miserimus, most miserable. But every one of us today, we would desire our life to be characterized by that which is described as most happy. We do not want to be unhappy. We do not want to be miserable. We want to be satisfied. There is something in the heart of every man that longs to be happy and something in the heart of every individual that longs to be satisfied. It's that for which we long. But I think secondly, it's not only that for which we long, but it's also that for which many live that for which we live. For you see, people not only long for satisfaction, but for many of their lives, 
is, is built, they live their life in pursuit of satisfaction. Their lives, they long to be happy, and therefore their lives are built around what they have. Their lives are built around what they do. Their lives are built around who they are, and all with the purpose of being happy. Many people work in order to make money. And they work to make money in order that they might have this and they might have that and they might have more in life and all with the idea that it will make them happy. There are those that do this and those that try this and all with the goal and the thought that if I can do this and if I can have this, it will make me happy. I think I'm safe in saying that for many, the great pursuit and the great passion in their life is to be happy. It's what they long for. It's what they live for. In the words of our text, they, they buy that they might be satisfied, and they labor that they might be happy. And in many cases, it's what one lives for. Blaise Pascal understood this, and he recognized this. In one of his writings, he made this statement. He said, the whole world is on a mad quest for happiness. Now, think about that. He said, this whole world is on a mad quest to be happy. He said, all men seek it without exception. They all aim at this goal, however different the means they use to attain it. He said, they never make the smallest move, but with happiness as their goal. It is the motive of the actions of all men, even those who contemplate suicide. Pascal said, we're in a mad dash and a mad quest to be happy. We all want to be happy, and everything that we do is governed by this passion and desire to be happy, even those that contemplate taking their own life. They look at life and they say, I'm so miserable. There's got to be something better. It would be better for me just to end it all and get out of life. The whole idea is that they might be happy. People long for satisfaction. People live for satisfaction. It's a familiar pursuit in all of the human race. But look at, secondly, something with me. Not only do you see this matter of longing for satisfaction and living for it, and this familiar pursuit for satisfaction. But second of all, you look at our text and you see a futile path to satisfaction. There is this pursuit for satisfaction as described by our text, but you find them going down the wrong path. For you look at the text, you not only see how people long to be happy and how they live to be happy, but you also see where people have a tendency to look for that happiness. For as you look at the text more carefully, you see that people commonly look in all the wrong places for that which will make them happy. And they look in the wrong places for that which will satisfy them. As we look at the example before us, we see those looking for happiness going down a futile path in their search. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about. Notice with me first. When I look at these trying to find happiness, I find for one thing there's a wrong attitude. I find in them a wrong attitude. Now, here's the picture again. They're in the marketplace. And you have people in the market buying bread. You have them buying wine. You have them buying milk and other commodities. And Isaiah speaks of them spending their money, buying things, trying to buy that which makes them happy. They're spending their money, verse 2. The text reminds us and the picture reminds us that some people have the idea that you can buy happiness. And that you can buy joy and you can buy satisfaction. Someone said money will buy a bed but not sleep. 
It'll buy books, but not brains. It'll buy food, but not an appetite. It'll buy finery, but not beauty. It'll buy a house, but not a home. It'll buy medicine, but not health. It'll buy luxuries, but not culture. It'll buy amusements, but not happiness. It'll buy religion, but not salvation. Money will buy you a passport to everywhere but heaven. You see, we have this tendency to think that if we had plenty of money, we would really be happy. And we think, boy, if I was a millionaire or if I could win the lottery, if I had all this money and could buy this house and have these things, then I would really be happy. I guess the best people this morning to ask if money makes you happy is the people that have money and the people that have had money. John W. Rockefeller said, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Jacob Astor said, I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. Isn't it funny that the very thing we think will make us happy And the very thing that we think will satisfy us, that the ones that have it are the ones that say it will not satisfy and it will not bring you happiness. They try to buy. Look at verse 2. You not only see those who spend money, but it also speaks of those that labor. And the word labor speaks of toiling in order to produce. And what Isaiah is describing is those who are working hard in order to produce that or to attain that which would satisfy them. It reminds us of those who think that if they do this and those that if they do that, that it'll make them happy. We live in a very messed up society. And we live in a society that our thinking is all uh, twisted and perverted. We live in a sensual and a pleasure-crazed generations. And many think that the happiness that is found in the, quote, so-called pleasure And again, I emphasize the so-called pleasure of this world. They think it brings happiness. You take the, take for example, the use of drugs. I was reading a book the other day by Jay Strack. And Jay Strack was a former drug user that God say that is now an evangelist. And he wrote a lot about his life. And he wrote about a book entitled Drugs and Drinking. Have you ever thought about why young people take drugs? You ever thought about why college students want to take drugs? Why adults of every age want to take drugs? Well, Jay Strack, as I said, which was a drug addict at one time, in his book he suggested three categories of drug users in this country. He said you can take everybody that uses drugs and you can put them into these one of these three categories. He said there's these three categories of drug users. There is the occasional user, And then the second one he called the thrill-seekers, and the third one was the addicts. Now, according to Strack, one of the reasons that people take drugs is for the thrill of the thing. They take drugs seeking a thrill. They take drugs seeking a high. Or that's just another way of saying they take drugs to make them happy. They take drugs in order to feel better and to feel good or to get out of the, to miss reality and get and enjoy something. He also gave five reasons why drugs have such an alluring temptation for teenagers. I'll not give you all five, but one of them, he said, was their own personal and spiritual and psychological emptiness. 
know what he was saying? Why, that why drugs are so tempting to young people is that it starts with an emptiness in their life. It starts with a personal, spiritual, psychological emptiness that exists in them. And they're trying to find that which will feel that emptiness. And I could go on and on and on and talk about the things that people feel and think will make them happy. As with the picture of our text, they buy for that which will try to make them happy. They labor for that which will make them feel good. But it's a wrong attitude. Look at the second thing. You not only see a wrong attitude. You can't buy happiness. You don't get a happiness in these things. But you also see a wrong approach. But when you look at verse 2, you see that they were spending money for that which was not bread. Do you see that? They're looking for that which will satisfy. And they're spending their money for that which will satisfy. But Isaiah said they spend money for that which does not satisfy or that which is not bread. And they labor for that which does not satisfy. What they were ending up with was not what they were after. To put it another way, the way they approached finding satisfaction was wrong. They were seeking satisfaction in the wrong direction. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Are you listening to me? I want you to listen to me very, very carefully this morning. You cannot buy happiness. Are you listening to me? I don't care how much money you've got. If you were as wealthy as Bill Gates, you cannot buy happiness. And may I say this, you cannot find happiness and you will not find happiness in anything this world has to offer. There are many who have tried to find happiness in what this world offers, but if I could get them here today, they could stand up here and testify that it does not give you what it advertises itself to give. They said, he said, why are you buying that which is not bread? You're trying to get that which satisfies, but you're ending up with something that doesn't satisfy. Lord Chesterton, Chesterton once said, I have run the silly rounds of pleasure and by no means desire to repeat the nauseous dose. Now you analyze his words for a moment. He said, I have run the rounds of pleasure. I have tried all that this world says will make you happy. I have tried this and I've tried that. But how does he define it? He says he calls it the silly rounds of pleasure. And he says, I have no desire to run them again. You see, friend, I want you to listen to me today. Are you listening? You can't buy joy. You can't buy happiness. You can't buy a satisfied heart. You can't get it in this, and you can't get it in that. Solomon is a good example. Can I use Solomon for just a moment? May I use him as an example? And if ever there was anyone qualified to pass judgment on the ability to find happiness and satisfaction in this world, it was Solomon. Look at Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 1. It's on the screen. Look at Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. Notice what Solomon said. He said, I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. Solomon said, I want to have a little fun. I want to enjoy myself. And so he says, Get at it, boy. He said, Go at it. Enjoy pleasure. What kind of pleasures did he enjoy? Look at Ecclesiastes 2.10. Now Solomon said, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart 
from any joy. He says, go at it, boy. Enjoy yourself. And he testifies that whatever there was that I thought would bring me joy, I tried it. I didn't spare anything. It didn't matter to me what it cost. It didn't matter to me what it was. He said, I withheld not one thing. If I saw it and wanted it, I got it. I didn't withhold one thing from, from any joy that I, anything that I thought would bring joy in my life. So he testifies, and you go home and read it later, but in chapter 2 he testifies that he tried mirth, he tried mansions, he tried might, he tried money, he tried music, and he tried mistresses. He tried every pleasure known to man, but when it was all said and done, he testified in verse 11, Behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, I didn't withhold one thing. I tried it all. But when it was all said and done, I found that it was all in vain. He said, it didn't bring me happiness. And furthermore, he added in vexation of spirit, instead of bringing me happy, it made me more unhappy. He said, I tried this that they said would make me happy, but I ended up more miserable than I was when I started. And I tried this to find satisfaction, but I was emptier even still when it was all said and done. You listen to me this morning. You can go to this world's markets to find satisfaction, but you'll only end up in the words of our text with that which is not bread and that which satisfieth not. So he asked the question, how can a person find real happiness and satisfaction? That leads me to my third and final thing. You notice, thirdly, a free provision of satisfaction. There is that familiar pursuit, that common pursuit, that common thing that we all share. We want to be satisfied. But yet there's that futile path that we often go down in trying to find satisfaction. But you look at our text again. You find those that were buying and working to find satisfaction, spending money for it. But yet we find out that the very thing they were looking for was being offered to them for free. In the first place, it was not what they were wanting, was not something they could buy, but they now found out it was something they didn't even have to buy. There was a free provision of the very thing they're looking for. I notice what is being offered in chapter 55. For one thing, they're being offered a happiness that was real. Look at verse 2 again. You find those that are buying that which was not bread. They're laboring for that which did not satisfy. They're wanting satisfaction. And so they go out and buy something, but it doesn't produce satisfaction. They work at this and they labor at this to be happy, but it doesn't end up producing happiness. But look back in verse 1. I love this. The finest vendor saying, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye and buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and price. You find them in verse 1 being offered bread, wine, and milk. Or to put it another way, in verse 1 they're being offered the real thing. Now I can see this vendor and hear this vendor and standing at his booth against the marketplace. So let your mind imagine for just a moment. I can see this vendor standing at his booth and I hear him as he cries to the busy market that day. Do you want to be happy? How many of you want to be happy? How many of you want to be satisfied? How many of you really want to have contentment? Do you want real satisfaction? Then here's the place to find it. Here's the place to get the real thing. And we hear him saying, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. It is an offer for real satisfaction in their lives. I want you to know something today. You can, now listen to me, you can really be happy. 
Oh, you say, oh, but preacher, do you really mean that? Do you really mean that I can go through life with a satisfied heart? Oh, yes, I do. I think of a story I read one time or recently about a young Chinese that wanted to learn about jade. And so he went to study with this talented old teacher. And this gentleman, when he got there, this gentleman put a piece of the stone, put a piece of jade in the boy's hand and told him to hold it tight. So here's this boy holding this piece of jade, and then the man began to talk of philosophy. Men, women, the sun, and almost everything under the sun. For about an hour, he talked about everything but jade, and then reached over and took the piece of jade away and sent the boy home and told him to come back the next day. And this procedure was repeated for weeks and weeks and weeks, and the boy was becoming more frustrated. When's he going to talk to me about jade? I've come there because I want to learn about jade. When's he going to teach me about jade? But he was too polite to interrupt his venerable teacher. But one day when he walked in, the man handed him a piece of stone, put him in his hand, and instantly the boy said, that's not Jay. What the boy didn't realize was the old man had been teaching him all along by holding the Jay that he would recognize that which was real and he would recognize that which was false. Listen to me. Everything that the world outside these doors offers to you, I want to say, that's not joy. That's not peace. That's not happiness. That's a counterfeit. But I hear a heavenly vendor saying, you really want to be happy? Over here is joy. You really want to have peace? I've got peace. And notice, it is not only a happiness that is, that is real, but it's a happiness that is received. Gandhi, do you hear this offer? You really want satisfaction? Hey, sir, you look like you're an empty man. You really want to be happy? Oh, You don't have any money? No problem. Come on, because what I'm giving you, I'm giving to you without cost, and I'm giving to you without charge. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. It is an offer from this heavenly vendor. You say, who is this heavenly vendor? Look at verse 2. You read the words, hearken unto me. You know who this heavenly vendor is walking this market of life? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is saying to you, hey, you want to be happy? I'll give you happiness. Won't cost you a thing. Hey, sir, are you tired of that empty life? Are you tired of the misery that you're living in? Are you tired of the way that you've been living? Come on over here. I've got peace for you. I've got joy for you. I've got satisfaction for you. And it will not cost you one single penny. Aren't you glad for that? A few years ago, there was a song, very popular song, that said, only Jesus can satisfy your soul, and that is exactly right. Now, listen to me. I'm not a dummy. I know you can go out here in the world and have a good time, but I want you to understand this. You can go out in the world and have a good time for a little while. You can go out here and try this and just get all kinds of highs and kicks out of that you want it. I'm not a dummy to realize that sin doesn't have a certain amount of pleasure to it. But I want you to understand this about sin. I want you to understand this about the world. It is but for a season. When it's all said and done, you'll be just as empty as you was before, if not even worse. But Jesus said, I can give you peace. I can give you joy. I can give you real satisfaction. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. I remember reading about three women that were traveling on a train from Kansas City to Chicago during World War II. One was a giddy young woman wearing a gaudy dress. She had a filthy mouth and was carrying a small bottle of whiskey in her coat pocket. 
Another was a well-dressed lady of culture and refinement whose husband was a successful businessman, and the other was an evangelist's wife. Well, throughout the long ride, two of the women freely talked back and forth. The giddy young woman talked and the evangelist's wife talked, but the wealthy lady was kind of quiet. The giddy young woman offered the other two a drink, which they refused. She was telling them all about her plans to get in Chicago, a soldier she was going to meet, the weekend she was going to spend with a soldier, and she described her life as one that was lived for nothing but pleasure. The evangelist's wife, she talked about how she was married to a preacher, how happy she was, how happy she was to be a Christian, how happy she was to be in the Lord's work, how happy she was to be saved, and on and on and on. The wealthy lady largely listened to what the other two had to say. But during the conversation, the young woman looked at the wealthy woman and she commented how happy she would be. She said, I'd be the happiest woman in the world, person in the world, if I had your diamond rings, I had your jewelry, and I had your meat coat. And the wealthy woman looked at her and this is what she said, my dear, you say you would be the happiest woman in the world if you only had my rings and you only had my jewelry and you only have my meat. I have these and a great many more things. But instead of being happy, I believe I am the most unhappiest woman in the world. I have wealth, a large home, servants, and expensive cars. But for years, I have not been happy. But from our conversation today, I have found where the trouble lies. The evangelist's wife has found the secret of a happy life. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can this satisfaction be found? All one's got to do is receive the offer the Lord has made. The Lord Jesus says, Ho, everyone that is thirsty, come unto me. And in verse 3, you hear this heavenly vendor say, Incline your ear, come unto me. He's saying, Listen, why are you buying that which is not bread? Why are you laboring for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen, come to me. I'll give you peace and joy, and it won't cost you a thing. That's the offer. Jesus is a heavenly vendor. I use Solomon's example on the opposite side. Let me use another one. I think about the woman at the well. Now, give you this, and I'm through. You know the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4? The story there, you remember when she came to the well with her water pot to draw water? And she met Jesus that day. And this is what Jesus said to her in John 4, 13 and 14. He said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus said, you draw all this well, you'll be back tomorrow to draw water again. But he said, honey, I want you to know something. I can give you some water that you'll never thirst again. What did the woman do? We hear her saying in John 4, 15, sir, give me this water that I thirst not and neither come hither to draw. You know what Jesus did? He offered her water, and all she had to do was take the water. And someone said she came to the well with her pot, but she left with the well in her soul. I want you to know today God can give you a joy. Are you spending that for which, does not, which is not bread? Are you laboring for that which does not satisfy? Do you want the real thing today? Do you really want joy? Do you really want to be happy? Do you really want to be satisfied? Do you want something more than it's just pumped up and dies in a day or two? Do you want something that is real? Do you want something that is everlasting? Then I say to you today, can I represent my heavenly vendor? 
I'm here today to tell you in this market of life, right down there by that booth, there is a well of living water. And you, that sin is taken to the bottom. And sin has wrecked your life. And sin that has ruined your life. There's one right over there that's got just what you need. You say, I'm tired of living empty. I'm tired of living miserable. I'm tired of being unhappy. Oh, everyone that thirsts to come to the waters. I know one that will give you peace and joy that will last. And it's no cause and there is no charge. All you got to do is come to him today. All you got to do is come to him. And he'll give you that which is real. Let's stand to our feet.